Hi, this is Maureen Milliken. And this is Rebecca Milliken, and this is our second episode of Groovy Tube. The Crimes of the Brady Bunch. Yes. And today we're going to talk about... Episodes 7 through 12. In season 1. Okay. And these again are the episodes, the most complete episode list we could find because they filmed some out of order and then... And then some of our source material has them in different order. So we're just going by the official And order. again, when you watch them on CBS or Hulu, there are missing episodes that we're watching on YouTube. Ugh. And this is the That's order we're finding them in. They, they tend to be in the same order on YouTube. Yes. So that's And the, this, the DVDs. But we'll also tell you the names so that you know what we're talking about. If, if, you, wa- if you want to watch along with us, or, or if this episode inspires you to watch yourself. Yes. Okay. So first, we're going to give a synopsis of the six episodes we're going to Yes. Do. So episode seven, Kitty Carriall is missing. Cindy's favorite doll is missing, and the family thinks Bobby has taken it. Of course. Episode 8, A Camping We Will Go. Greg, Peter, and Bobby are looking forward to the annual campout with Mike and Alice. But this time, Carol and the girls are coming along. Uh Uh-oh, says the boys. Says the boys, is that correct grammar? I don't know. If you're speaking in... Say the boys. Who are sure the girls will ruin their good time. And by the way, these synopses I just got on Google. They're off Google, yeah. yeah. Episode 9, one of our favorites, and you'll yes. see why. Sorry, right number. Mike tries to cure the phone problem in his home <laughs> by installing a pay phone. <laughs> Episode 10, every boy does it once. <laughs> a day. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I'm sorry. Bobby is convinced nobody loves him and decides to run away Aww, from home. Poor Bobby. So cute. No. Episode 11, vote for Brady. Greg and Marsha run against each other for student body president. The heated election campaign carries over into the Brady house. Surprise, surprise. The girls automatically side with Marsha and the boys side with Greg. Mike, Carol, and Alice finally intercede. Finally, God. It's about time. They never do that. I know. 12. The Voice of Christmas. Carol loses her voice from too much choir practice and fears she may not be able to sing in the Christmas Aww. service. Oh, my gosh. Okay. All right, so we will start with Kitty Carrion. Oh, uh, yes. And this is a... Well, first of all, it's a prime uh, example of Cindy acting like she's fucking three instead of... She's supposed to be six. I know, and one funny thing is I read in the book Brady, Brady, Brady by Sherwood and Lloyd Schwartz. Sherwood Schwartz was the creator, Lloyd was his son, and had a lot to do with the show, and we'll get into more of that as we go on. That when they cast the kids for the show, Sherwood didn't have really specific character sketches drawn. He felt the kids they cast would bring their own personalities to the parts. And the kids would basically be the kids they were in real life. And that seems to be probably true for everyone except for, I would say, Susan Olson, who was a lot more on the ball and mature than Cindy, and granted she was a year or two older than what they were having her play, but I always feel like Cindy is a grown, middle-aged man's idea who doesn't pay a lot of attention to kids, no offense, Sherwood, of what a six-year-old girl would act like rather than what a six-year-old girl... She acts like she's three. Yeah, she does act like she's three. Well, Uh, can I interject? Yes, you can. Well, I was just going to say, he he determined that the kids' personalities would be the characters' personalities, but 
if Susan Olsen was a sharp little cookie, and it sounds like she was, he should have let her. I'm not saying he should have been one of those older events, like, you know, smart like those alecky. kids who are like a stand-up comedian at yeah. six or something. But don't make her be this stereotype Friggin of a real, idiot. Yes. So, anyway, so this is what Susan... Olson had to say in Barry uh, Williams' book, Growing Up Brady, she says, quote, She was an idiot. I mean, I didn't like Cindy, but I really hated the fact that she was so stupid. Even yeah. as a kid in the first season, I can remember running up to my mom and asking her, why is it funny and cute to be stupid? Mm. Why is Cindy stupid? And why is that a good thing? If you ever step and listen to some of the lines that come out of Cindy's mouth, you will come away with the idea that she's retarded. And that word was Susan Olsen's, yes. not mine. And that was an okay word to say 20 years ago. Yeah. And she says, I remember the worst one came during the first season in that episode where we all had the measles, which is coming up. Yeah. Carol comes into Cindy's room and gives her a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And Cindy asks, oh, okay. how come you always give me peanut butter and jelly and carol says because they're your favorite to which moron cindy replies oh yeah i keep forgetting i know i can remember even and the last crack thinks it's yeah. hilarious even then being really distressed about it and asking my mother why why do i have to say this stuff and then mm-hmm. she goes on to say when she went back to school kids would make fun of her, her. just one of the points i wanted to make was Lloyd Schwartz in his book, which is pretty candid a lot about about a lot of things, and again, it's called Brady, 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 never acknowledges that I can remember reading it that of all the kids, they kind of made Susan Olsen act yeah, way out of Yeah, because you kind of get the sense that those are probably their yeah, and he makes a big point about Eve Plum and Jan fairly frequently. Being neurotic. Yeah, not really in a positive way, which I feel bad about. So in any case, Kitty Carryall is a Cindy-centered episode. Yes. She talks to the frickin' doll. And she's, oh, she's singing to the doll and feeding her. Lullaby. And Carol's like, oh, isn't that cute? Look, Mike. And it's it's like, your daughter is acting like half her age. So anyway, Kitty Carryall, Bobby and Cindy are in the den. And Kitty Carryall disappears. And yes. Cindy immediately accuses Bobby, and Bobby gets all defensive, which yeah. he should. But one interesting thing is that Bobby says that he hates Kitty Carryall, and no one asked her to come live here anyway. Yeah. And I wondered if the, I think if the show was deeper, which it's not, if that was him, he actually wasn't talking about Kitty Carryall yes. at all. But I also, he also makes a good point, which most six-year-olds would, although I think he's supposed to be a year older than, but anyways, yeah, I think he is. he's not hugely more mature than Cindy, where well, they're he says, about Bobby she's just a doll or something, and, and she's like, no, she talks to me all the time. And he says, she's full of sawdust or whatever, dolls are full. So it's funny how he understands that she's a fucking doll. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't have pretend and stuff, but well, she... Well, I think he is supposed to be a year or something older because they ref- they make reference in other episodes to her being the youngest. But the way the script is written is the girls are much dumber. dumber yeah, yeah, basically. The boys. Yeah. Although Peter is not exactly, uh, yeah, you know, you, you know, early on he's not going to be the valedictorian of his class. <laughs> I mean. 
Okay, and then so then we've got everybody looks everybody, for her, which is ridiculous because they're looking places that she wouldn't fit. Which yeah, which so is it's just weird. this kind of sitcom looking for the doll. And the other thing is, for some reason, the boy started to think that Bobby did do it. People start because they all start to blame him. He talks about how he, he, he hated, hated the doll. He so he's being his honest brothers that he hated the doll. It's like when somebody gets murdered and someone says, "Yeah, the asshole had it coming." So know. then the kids all start shunning him, which is really rude. I, I know it's, it's like, me. It's mean it's for no mean. reason. And then Mike does one of his, this has gone far enough. Yes. Because they're out all like, out on the swing set. He's looking out the faux glass door, yes, which had no glass in it. Yes, and the kids are all out on the swing set, and Bobby comes over and says, can I play or something? And they're all like, we're dead. Fuck off, you fucking yeah. piece yeah. of shit. And then Mike, no. so he takes Marsha and Greg aside and gives them a little lecture, which is his favorite thing to do. I think this is do. one of the most classic Mike Brady lectures Because he like, And he also lectures several times in this episode. He does, but this is his lecture on the American justice system. And innocent until proven guilty. Yeah, doesn't Matt. he? Is it innocent till proven guilty? Isn't that later? No, he, he gives it, no. I, I know he says we're he very He explains proud. circumstantial evidence later. This one he says innocent okay. until proven guilty, yes. Yes. He says we're, we're a country of laws, America is. Yes. He says that people are innocent until proven guilty in this country. And Greg says, everyone knows that, Dad, which... They, they don't. don't. But anyway, so so Greg and Marsha discuss the innocent until proven guilty thing and decide that Bobby deserves a fair trial. Which he doesn't really get. No. And then they pull an Alice and Alice the is jury. the judge. Or the judge and jury. Pe- no, Peter and Jan oh, are that's the jury. That's right. Alice yeah, is the judge. judge. Peter and Jan are the jury. And Alice is making a pot roast. Which burns in record time. Yeah, it burns in like five minutes. Yeah. It's like from from one minute she's like, oh, I've got to keep an eye on this pot roast. And the next minute it's like a charred piece of charcoal. It's like, what the fuck? Did she have the oven on like a thousand degrees? Right. So so Cindy testifies and kind of accuses Bobby on the stand. Yeah. And then Bobby gives us impassioned passionate speech about how he would never do that i wouldn't do it because because she's my sister and i just wouldn't do that which is very moving and it sways jan to bobby's side and peter to peter doesn't doesn't really maybe he's made uncomfortable by the passion or maybe he knows that bobby's a liar i don't know i I don't know but so so for some reason although it starts out with jan on cindy's side and peter on bobby's side then jan um, they switch sides. And this may be the first and time. Oh, we didn't mention Marsha's the prosecutor because what did she say? Because everyone knows he's guilty. <laughs> yeah, because everyone knows he's guilty. <laughs> right. I want to be the prosecutor because everyone knows he's guilty. And Greg is the defense attorney. Yes. And I think this is the first time maybe in the series where when after Jan and Peter change size and correct me if i'm wrong where there's a split oh i will no i'm just yeah, kidding you will, yeah. where there's a split that's not along gender lines and so it, it actually isn't. crosses the line yes crosses yes. the line to the other gender yes it does yeah it was quite the twist yes so then <laughs> um so alice says it's a hung jury and then runs and back then in mike because, oh and then so then and no one makes the joke i really like a well hung jury uh, ha, ha, ha. so then later in the show Cindy and Bobby are in the playroom again, right? And Bobby's playing that stupid kazoo. Which I would have crushed with a sledgehammer. And uh, he puts it down to play with this weird elephant, elephant that thing flips that flips. Over. Which I actually got something like that for Hannah. It was a dog. Eric and I almost felt like he was somewhere. trying to engage Cindy and get her interested in the elephant. 
I think somebody had given it to her or something. Yeah, but she didn't care because it wasn't yeah. Kitty. Oh, oh, we forgot one of the most important parts. Bobby went to... Oh, this was after, it was though. after. You're going to Okay. Yourself. So, anyways, he puts down his kazoo and that disappears. On the couch behind him. And Cindy's over on the other couch. Yes. And, and yet, he blames Cindy and, for it being... And Tiger... Clue he wanted to play on something on the kazoo to the elephant, I think. I don't think it was to Tiger. Yes. He, no one notices stupid, smelly tiger hanging okay. around and we know and then so that tiger well we don't do, we do don't they show? but we we're don't. smart and we put <laughs> two and two together we don't we don't see tiger take it even takes them later in the show spoiler alert when mike and carol actually see tiger take the, the new because oh, we have to get to that part so. i know we do but it's like but what i'm just saying is everybody's pretty slow on the take even wow. at that yeah. point it takes them a minute <laughs> to figure it out so, so this is when mike gives bobby and cindy the speech about circumstantial evidence uh, what does he say well first of all he either says this and i liked this quote either to, to i think it was to bobby and cindy well no um you don't know which quote i'm because i to either greg and marcia earlier or bobby or cindy this time we're very proud to have a process known as the law mm. in america like nobody else has that yeah well they don't says, we're america's great sometimes we can be deceived by circumstances oh evidence. yes and then he also says sometimes innocent men go to yes, jail he says that to Bobby and Cindy, circumstantial yes. evidence. But then again, sometimes juries, he, he didn't say sometimes this, but I'm saying... circumstantial evidence is strong evidence. I know. And sometimes juries are too stupid to realize that circumstantial evidence is more reliable than eyewitness testimony. Right. It, <laughs> it actually isn't circumstantial evidence. It doesn't come to the point of being evidence that Cindy was in the room when yeah, the kazoo disappeared because she wasn't even on the couch. I know. Bobby. It's she stupid. Wasn't there if her fingerprints were on the couch. Well, we don't have to go into that. So anyway, Bobby feels bad for Cindy, who is, he does feel, is his sister, even though they've only he's been... He's a sweet boy. He's a nice little boy. And they, so he goes to the toy store and buys, uses the last, all his money in his piggy bank to buy her a kitty carry-all doll that's sitting that there. That exactly like her other fucking kitty carry Well, and you know what? And if it had been a real sitcom, they would have just pretended not a real <laughs> sitcom. Another sitcom would have just pretended it was the doll. Yeah. But she knew. we found kitty carry Yeah. But anyway, so she does, she rejects this doll as an imposter. She does not want it because it's not her kitty. Maybe it wasn't talking to her. Maybe it was like that Chucky doll when nobody be, looked. Uh, you know, I thought of that. Kill your family. And it was, you know, when I watched this as a kid, and when I watched it again now as an adult, I'm so obsessed with the fact that the doll has such a weird name, and, and I don't understand it, doll. that I can't get past. Well, but dolls back then, they did have names that, like, baby, baby drowsy. Yeah, like, well, like well, but I don't know what Carrie like. Does no, she have a lot of pockets or something? I don't, I don't know. know. And, and you know what's funny is that Buffy on Family Affair had Mrs. Beasley. That's right. I They're remember a blatant ripoff down to the ponytails. Maybe every little six-year-old girl has ponytails. But Buffy and wasn't a as stupid as Cindy. No, she wasn't. Until later in her life. Well, poor she girl. Died. She tosses Kitty Carrie outside and runs out or whatever. And Bob and Carol are standing there. Mike and Carol. I mean, I'm sorry. Bob, Carol, Ted, and Alice. I was thinking Mike and Carol. Mike and Carol are standing there. Oh, my God. What are we going to do? Because, as always, they are way, way, way <laughs> too invested I know. in their children. They really are. And so then Tiger <laughs> friggin' takes the doll and, and they're like, Tiger, Tiger. And then it occurs. He goes into his doghouse. You can almost see the light bulbs go 
off over their heads. It doesn't, it's not the minute Tiger takes it, they say, oh, wait, Tiger's taking stuff. It's like, it takes them a minute. It's like, get back. Yeah, then they go, oh, do. And guess what they find in Tiger's doghouse? Gross, probably covered in dog slobber, and God knows what else kitty carry off. And if it, but my dog, like, for instance, my dog Dewey used to, like, stuffed animals and stuff. He would rip them to shreds. I know. I would think Kitty Carol would have been chewed at least. A dog would never take a kazoo because they're metal and they don't like that on their teeth. I know. It's stupid. But I know. But anyways. So that's what was in his... The kazoo was there too. There could have been a bunch of other stuff there for all we know. Yes. See, my kitty takes stuff, but she brings it to me. Kabibi, she brings me stuffed toys Carol all the time. And Carol continues to validate the um, sexist attitudes. When she says to Mike, it's really hard for a girl when she loses her favorite doll. More than, like, Bobby losing his kazoo, I yes. guess. I don't know, because I never had a favorite doll. Yes, I never did either. Maybe we're, like, sociopaths or we something. Or we're just not middle-aged men's idea of mm. what little girls are like. I know. I mean, it's and I like, know Sherwood Schwartz had a daughter. Yeah, but that but doesn't mean they, they don't pay attention to what their daughters are like. They don't. Like. They don't. Especially back in those days. And so Tiger once again doing shit. Poor Tiger, because he's he always really, doing shit. He, he comes really up again in, the, in another one. He does. He was really typecast as. A dog. And also, Bobby was mean to him when Tiger when Tiger jumped up on the couch. He's, he's like, like, "Tiger, get out of here!" Yeah, beat it, Tiger. And poor Tiger. <laughs> and he and he's only around when they for plot purposes, and it's usually he's doing something annoying. <laughs> so probably Fluffy not being on anymore is a good thing. Well, I think cats are just harder to have on set. They won't do what you want them to do. Yeah, but they do cause wreak havoc. And so that was Kitty Carryall. Kitty Carryall. And I think it really, really... Apparently, that's one a lot of people remember, according to Barry. A lot of people remember that one when they talk Why to him. Why do you him. think that is? I don't know. Maybe because it's a stupid doll. I don't know the yeah, name of the doll. Maybe because Cindy whining and crying about her doll. So the next one is a camping we will go. That's episode eight. Classic battle of the sexes. Uh, yes. Classic. And lots of sexism involved, too, as yes, usual. Yes, and battle of the sexes and sexism... Aren't always the same thing. No, they aren't. Different, no, they different aren't. Different themes. They are different themes. Yes. Because you can have a battle of the sexes. Did you know, speaking of when we were kids and battle of the sexes, that they're making a movie based on Bobby Riggs and Billie Jean King. Yes. And I can remember watching that. that I remember watching right? that, too. And I was so... And people were making fun of yes. me before it because I was a... Junior feminist. I was too. As a 14 year old. In fact, there were a lot of girl boy arguments at school and about I it. And I had wanted to play Little League, which you couldn't do when you were my age. Mm. And I, not that I was that good a ball player, and I had wanted to, and I had had a paper out, which people yes. gave me a lot of shit about, especially when we lived in Ohio before we moved to Maine. I had wanted to be a crossing guard, which we can talk about later. Yes. Maybe I'll read the letter Dad wrote to Sister Jean, which did no good to let me be a crossing guard because hmm. they got to eat donuts and have hot chocolate. Because of my outspoken young feminism people at school and everything assumed rightly so that i was very invested in the billy jean king bobby riggs thing and i was mocked before it 
And so I was desperate for her to beat that big mouth asshole because I never would have heard the end of I wanted her to win anyway, obviously, but uh, I never would have heard the fucking end of it. And of course she's going to beat him. He was a middle-aged... Yeah, he was a loser. You know, she wiped Battle of the Sexes. Oh, yes. So, so the boys apparently have this annual camping trip with... Mike, and apparently one synopsis Alice read goes. Alice, but I don't think she had. I don't think she had either. She was going on this one to help. To help. But I think it had just been an all guys yeah, it had been stag the, event. Which I see nothing wrong with. I don't either. Even I, though, I mean, no, I, I... I think if, there, if it was a trish, traditional a bonding thing, thing they used yeah. to do together, that they should... But it's Mike that wants them to all go together. It's a big so family. I can kind of understand that as well. If you're trying family. to blend the family and you really... You know how some people just want to force it. You almost got the feeling before the wedding that the kids hit, barely knew each other. You'd think they would have done stuff. Maybe we should have talked about this last week or something. Yeah. But you'd think they would have done stuff together. They may have done some maybe, stuff. Maybe I mean, you think about people you know with blended families and they don't spend a lot of time together. Yeah, Although guess, these two, they know. had... every family's different. Especially if it's divorced families because yeah. they're not always with their parents. So right. the parent... So but, Mike you know. was a widower. Yes, and, and Carol, Carol was... Her husband was out of the picture. He right. was buried under the house. Yeah. She killed him yeah. and said he ran off. That's why you never heard from him. She That's killed right. him, buried him under the house, or maybe Mike killed him for her. Yes. I think yeah. that's a likely scenario. And Alice was involved, and that's why they have to keep her on his ah, she's Ah, she's blackmailing them. So Mike wants them to go. The boys are like, no way, it's always all of us. And Mike's like, well, you can teach the girls to hunt and fish as good as any of the guys. Which I think is stupid. Which is stupid because there are girls who hunt and fish. I know. And men don't necessarily hunt and fish better than women. That's you know, ridiculous. it's not really a gender. And then the girls do not want to go, and neither does Carol. And but then she says to the girls, "If they like camping, we like camping." And one of the issues with that is that attitude that some people still have today. That it's important for the woman to, to make us. concessions yeah. for the guy and like what he likes. In fact, well, a lot of women do that look at anyway. Phil Hartman's wife in, I know. Uh, in our crime and stuff episode. Yes, about, a lot of women I'm do that, anyways. Here. And you know, I mean, we all know, and men probably do it to a certain extent too. But you, we all know the woman that's like doesn't really like say the Super Bowl doesn't really want to watch it, but they're all rah rah. And I'm not right. saying that only women like the like only men like the Super Bowl and women don't. I think women are more likely to take on a man's interest. Yeah. Women are more likely to go see Fast and Furious 6 with the guy because he wants to see it than the guy is going to go see... Uh, Wonder to... Woman. Wonder Woman. Well, no, because that's a superhero. Yeah, uh, but why don't we still, just say, I, bet, uh, I bet more women went to see it than men. Why don't we just say Terms of Endearment oh, yeah. if it were shown well, at the retro theme? I'm just saying. Yeah, I know. You know, because that's a No, I know. Female. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or uh, steel magnolias. Yes. Women are more willing to be like, okay, if you like this, and men are more like, look, this is what I like. I don't like, to, I don't want to watch that movie. Case, I don't want to see that. So anyway. But in any case. This is a good example of Alice being treated like Tiger, kind of, or a lesser, she's kind of the clown. What do we call her? A dehumanized clown. Yeah. She has to neutered. sit in the cargo area. Yes, she's a grown woman. I know. Don't they have two cars? They do. They have the convertible so why not and bring the station cars to yeah. the camping trip, especially with all those people. I know, but it's funnier to take dehumanized, murdered Alice. Alice and shove her in the back of the car with the dog, <laughs> and then Cindy sat in the front between mom and dad, just like just like in we our used family. To. Well, I didn't. And 
But that's but it, the way it was back then, people. Yeah. I mean, my daughter is the same age as Cindy now, and she still has to sit by law in a child seat. Right. A we were all over that car. Seat. We did have seat belts. I don't remember using them to, except for to hit each other with and stuff. <laughs> but the little no. kids were usually in the way back, although yeah. I did spend time in the way back. The three of us older kids would fight over, we had an old rambler, and the exhaust went through, and there was a hump. The hump in the back and, seat. And, yeah, so we would fight over who got But, you know, the, the, the good the thing seat. about being in And the, the person who sat in the back seat in the middle always leaned forward with their arms well, on yeah, the front seat. Well, yeah, of course seat, they did. You know. But, yeah. you know, the good thing about being way in the way back is if dad was pissed oh, he's and trying to hit somebody. That's why you didn't want to be behind dad, although I ended up there a lot. Yeah, because when dad got mad and if he was still driving and he was hitting, which every, you could sh- avoid every it. child of our generation yes, has you could avoid it, except, but it was harder to avoid it if you were behind <laughs> him. If you're in the way back. His arms weren't that long. I know. If you were in the way back. He'd have to actually of, stop the car, which yeah. God forbid you stop the car. Well, when he stopped the car, that's when he knew there was yeah. trouble. Yeah. You couldn't stop the car. You could I mean, like, if you, it didn't matter how bad you had to pee, that car was not going to stop. No. Or you throw up. Yeah, remember the time I you threw up threw on up, Nana. And well, no, and there was another time you were in the front. Oh, I threw up and, and Carolyn and Carolyn Van Schaik, our friend, was in the back seat. <laughs> she and the windows window. were was a hot day, and the throw up went in the back. Yeah. And she was Poor a very Carolyn. very nice person. Poor Carolyn. Uh, so anyway, anyway, and they have old style tents. Which yep, we just like have. we had the four-man mountain tents from L.L. Bean. And so this is the typical boys versus girls. The boys, are what are they, trying to teach the girls how to fish and they don't catch anything? Yeah, and they don't catch anything. Of or course they're inept. But nobody catches much fish, so it's a good thing the girls brought all this they food. They brought a big picnic Because basket. Mike was like, we're just going to live on the fish we eat, which Fuck I'm sorry. That. Even if you're going to catch a lot of fish, you want to eat more than that when you're camping. Yeah. It, but it's a good thing they brought all the food after Mike and the boys made fun of them for bringing all that food because they didn't catch many fish or any fish and yeah and mike food. had no qualms about eating it the no. boys were all on principle well, they, but they but get they caves pretty in. quick because it was like fried chicken and then the, yeah the girls were afraid of an owl hooting and so the boys mocked them mm. and then the girls decide to play a prank on them yeah. it wouldn't be the brady's if they didn't have some trickery some kind of trickery in mind game well that wasn't really a mind game that no, was just was trickery prank. So they have, yeah, like they projected it. <laughs> they, so they, they had whatever it took to make a bear cut out with them. On <laughs> out of cardboard. Well, they they actually, they must have thought about it and brought it, I assume. And the boys were fooled, but Mike Yes, wasn't. and then the tent collapses. The tent collapses. And, and I read in Maury McCormick's book, uh, there was a little touchy feeling. Oh, and Greg said it too. Yeah. yeah they were gropey. They were on top of each other. Yeah, so they used that to... So that was a classic battle of the sexes. Yes, although in, as like, kids we enjoyed yeah, it. And, well, I think I enjoyed it on some levels, but I think even back then, I think the the division of the sexes in the gratuitous... That always bothered me. ...stuff, the gratuitous anti-female stuff bugged me. It used to bug me. And you know, I don't think of our father as a feminist... Definitely no. not part of his generational, but he wasn't he, like a lot of other men that time. He had a lot of friends that are women that he worked with. He worked in the newspaper business, and there were a lot of women in there the are, newspaper y- yes, business. Yes, don't get me started. There are a lot of women, not bosses. No. They're the, they're the slaves, like in yes. a, a lot of other industries. Just like in 
Good Girls Revolt. Not the TV show, the book. He looked at us as individuals and didn't expect us to behave certain ways based on gender. And part of it, too, is he had nine sisters himself. Yes. Yeah, that's true. He was from a family of 14 kids, and he had nine sisters. So I think that he, you know, was more... He was feminized without being a feminist. Yes, because he does have some issues. Well, it's superficial beliefs based on gender. But but in any case... It wasn't like we were raised in, you know, women power. It's more more based on our observations of the way people around us behaved. Mom, her father died when she was 11. She was raised by a single mother, an immigrant who worked very hard. And she had, despite her being, at least back in the 60s, a nice Catholic girl and all this, she had, I think, some strong feelings about women and how they should behave. And it's not like, no, people weren't always making speeches about it. But the bigger influence is how you're raised, how you're treated. Well, you're raised you... to think for yourself, too. Yes. So when even at six or seven years of age, watching something on TV and thinking, that's not that's not right. right. We weren't censored. I, I didn't feel like, oh, my God, I shouldn't be thinking that that's not right. It's right. not like I voiced it to, you know, people like, I don't think Ricky should be, you know, treating Lucy like that. But I definitely filed it in the back of my mind. And so. So not. Oh, the oh, next Sorry, one. right number. This we is like this We like this one. one in a lot of ways. But first, before we get into it, I want to say later, I think it's sometime in the first season, according to Lloyd Schwartz's, Sherwood and Lloyd Schwartz's book, I should say. Sherwood Schwartz wrote a few chapters. Sherwood was the creator. About how it was created. Lloyd was his son. And then once it started airing, Lloyd took over. He was a producer and he was the dialogue coach for the kids from the beginning and that type of thing. Somewhere along during the first season, I could have the timing wrong, they realized that episodes that focused on one of the parents and their problems were more boring for the audience because the kids weren't in as much, and people started caring more about the kids. So somewhere along the first Ah. season, they started rotating so each kid had an episode that was their oh i never even noticed that i know but this is definitely before that and then one we talk about next next week the horror scope one (laughs) definitely a parent-centric one so this is a mike-centric one yes it is mike i think you have to almost be of our generation to fully understand yeah i don't think any kid stuff from who was born and definitely not within the last 20 years would understand anybody in the era of not only cell phones and stuff but in the era of even just any kind of phone even answering machines Yeah. Even call waiting. Yeah. But answering machines came before So I would waiting. say even call waiting and stuff was early 90s. Yeah, call waiting um, was early no, 90s. late eight, There was some in the late 80s. Yeah, but it wasn't common to have No, it, it wasn't common. And, and you had to pay extra machines, for it, remember? Yes. And answering machines were late 80s, early 90s. Yeah. And before that, when the phone rang... You answered it because yeah, you didn't know who you didn't know who it was. You know, and if you funny. were expecting a call from somebody, yes. especially if you were a girl of a certain age, well, you like stayed I, home. Yeah. Well, like my okay, my, oh, if he calls and I'm not here, he's never going to call me again. Like Friday afternoons when I lived, I had you know in college or you know early twenties roommates, and I lived with three girls at one point. You know, I lived with different girl roommates and sometimes boys, but the girls Friday afternoon to evening that phone rang, there would be a mad dad. Scramble. For the phone. Yeah. And the other thing is, too, like in newspaper offices, this was one of the big culture changes that I don't think people even realize. Because I started, at, you know, in 1983, after I got out of college, when somebody's phone rang and they weren't there, you would pick it up and take a message. Because usually if a reporter's phone ringing, it's something important. You would pick it up and take a message for them. 
And um, their, I, their phone on their desk, the by the way. Because people didn't carry phones around. No, they didn't carry phones mm. around. And if they were out of the office interviewing something or something. And when I went to work for the union leader in New Hampshire in 1986, there was a switchboard operator. But people still would call people's direct lines. And the switchboard operator would take messages for people. But if somebody's phone rang, was ringing, you picked it up. Yes. You answered it and you took a message and wrote it down on a piece of paper or memo. There was, this was before post-it notes. It's funny how it changed because once phone systems with voicemail were instituted, it was a very hard habit to break. Yes. And if you're like a certain age, I would say maybe under 40 in the newspaper business, you don't answer somebody else's phone. Yeah. If you're over that and you hear a phone ringing, your first instinct is to go answer Well, it. it's funny how you talk about your instincts. Like for many, many years, the first thing I would do when I walked into my, you know, throw my keys down when I walked into my house was listen to my answering yes. machine. And even yes. now, when I get home from work... You look to see if that light's blinking. You you have a sense that you've got to do something. Yes. It's almost like, okay, do I get any phone call? And then you're like, oh, I no, my friggin' cell phone. phone with and I didn't have a landline. It's so weird, though. And you so still this Brady a- episode, so Mike's waiting for a guy to call to make a tea time the next day. Yeah, and it's which is very important. And it's kind of stupid because he picks up the phone and assumes it's that guy. Which well, because he's, he's there. Some, you know, he's he's a, a, the world revolves around him. And, of course, the kids keep getting phone calls and are on the phone and hogging the phone. And, oh, what's the solution? They could have had the solution we had. Which, which And they kind of try this out in a stupid way during this episode for not very long. But which was a five-minute limit. Yes. That nobody <laughs> adhered to. And you would have somebody screaming. Five-minute limit. Five-minute <laughs> Billy was the one Billy I always Nikki. remember. Five-minute limit. Five-minute limit. When you try to talk on the phone yes, to someone. Yes. Our youngest sister, Nikki, and Billy would. And sometimes they weren't even, like, Billy especially. <laughs> it's not even like he wanted to use that phone. <laughs> no, and so you couldn't and also on our we had two phones yes we had one in the kitchen and one in the t- parents bedroom and one in mom and dad's yeah. room and the one in the kitchen in our house in augusta there was just phone numbers and stuff written all yes. on the wall next yes. to it and it had a very long cord, cord that would always get tangled up yeah. and twisted <laughs> it was one of those it was a wall mount phone remember that you were getting and here's another thing that's gone away with caller id and everything remember you were getting harassing phone calls and mm-hmm. we won't say the name and that was a big that was a thing before caller id yes. and a lot of women particularly when i was living somebody who was fine at work did once and said something very dirty to me and i recognized his voice Ew. And, um, more about I've n- i never really told anybody because but remember so this person was calling you and billy would and Billy would... Um, now you have to tell me who it was. I will. I'll tell you later. And um, people who who may have worked wouldn't be surprised at who it was. But I don't want to say it publicly yes, because I the person is... Then you I, told, I told a couple of people at work who poo-pooed it at the time. And I was... And, and didn't really talk about it after that. You were getting these calls, and Billy, who played the banjo, would put the phone there and play the banjo yes. into it. He had, he had a captive audience. The person would hang up, though. Yes, he would. Yes. So, in any case, let's get right to the payphone. Well, first they have two lines. Remember, yes. they decided right, to put two they lines. Keep two phones, which is annoying because yeah. they obviously already have two phones, and what you have to have is two lines. So they had two lines. One, one which was in Mike's office or dad study, which study. was supposed to be for him and Carol, but he kept kind of slipping and saying it was his. And it's the biggest, as we've discussed, the giantest room in the house. Yes. Although I have to look in the, I haven't looked in the Brady 
encyclopedias that the new book we got Bradypedia by, by Erica Wolk which yes, we're going to be getting Erica, a lot of we're, we're, yes thank you Erica it's because a wonderful we want to have a well informed show and our source material is pretty much growing up Brady by we're watching the shows too and, and a lot re-watching because we've already, I've already us. watched yeah, them many too, times me too. but years ago and so growing up Brady by Greg Brady 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 by Sherwood and Lloyd Schwartz and we just and got and we just got the Bradypedia and that just Wolf. came out it just came out and it looks good but in any case so in any case so they got two phone lines and this was if you called somebody and they were talking on the phone you get busy, a, busy a busy signal, signal. and yes. unless it was an emergency you could have the operator break in yes. like if somebody was dying yes. or something so Mike told them they could use his line, which was a mistake on his part. He apparently told the children they could use his line in case of emergency, and Carol obviously was allowed to use it. Mm, well, her loud. her friend her Martha, friend. very needy and very overly sensitive, kept calling her about some stupid With dress she was hemming. And like, if that's your worst problem, lady, you know how high your hem should be. Right. So Carol said something that offended Martha. I can't remember what when she Mike said. When Mike was trying to get Carol off yeah. the phone, Carol said something that offended Martha that wasn't offensive at all. I know right where she's coming from. And, and so Martha dropped the phone and ran away crying. <laughs> and here's another thing that nobody, unless you're our age or older, would remember. If the person on the other end didn't hang up, you couldn't use your phone. You couldn't disconnect the, the line. The line was still engaged. Because you couldn't call the operator because your, phone was, your phone was engaged. They had to hang up too. Yeah. So my, that line was shot. He couldn't use it. and then. But before that happened, he had put a pay phone in. And we skipped that because there was the five-minute limit was the second thing. It didn't work. And it didn't so work. And then he somehow kids. got a pay phone put and in. And, of course, the kids were scrounging change. Nobody had any change. And Mike had to make a very important call to Mr. Crowley at 630. Because Alistair Crowley. <laughs> <laughs> and he, so he had to go use the payphone, and all he had was one dime. And if you remember, you got like three minutes for a dime, and then the yes. operator would ask you to put in more money. Although I remember a phone, I remember a phone booth, there were two phone booths side by side on Western Avenue. And we used to call each other on, I don't know how. Oh, well, because you didn't have to, you could. If you called a so, phone. But it would be, an, it was a nickel for those. Right. Maybe it's a local call, I don't know. It was up to local phone companies to, and I had to look this up for a book I was ah. editing. It was up to local phone companies to set what the price was to Interesting. use Interesting. Anyways, and phone booths are also a thing, or pay phones are also something that, a lot of people wouldn't understand uh, if they hadn't grown up with them because there are not many left, if if any. I don't know. There should be some somewhere. There still are some around. But um, the operator will break in and tell you you owe money, which happened to Mike, and it took him too long to find a dime. Sam the Butcher. Oh, we didn't talk about Sam the Butcher. This was the first appearance of Sam the Butcher. We yes. were just getting and to that. We'll, we'll talk about him. But he was there at the time trying to cop a feel off Alice in the kitchen. He had a dime, but by then it had disconnected. So Mike calls him back, and the guy's all miffed. He doesn't know if he wants to do business with someone that calls him on a payphone, which I don't really understand why that would upset you. Then once Mike explains to him, the guy thinks it's a good idea because he has three teenage kids. So he knows. He knows. And this is a part where I want to bring up a big thing that we'll be talking about throughout the show. And Lloyd Schwartz talks about it a lot in Brady, 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 is that Robert Reed was very difficult. Very. To deal with. Very, very difficult. And apparently he had an Encyclopedia Britannica, because this was before Googling. You know, Maureen McCormick talks about it a little in her book without specifics. Yeah, and she he says he's a perfectionist. And, and wanted things to be yes. realistic. But what she doesn't say is he was obsessive and yes. had some, I think, kind of issue. And he would look ridiculous things up. 
and uh, it was and it was then questioned weird. them and refused to do so the phone thing was a big example of this and and another thing you know how we talk about the trickery in the shows the schwartzes were tricky guys and they seemed to think that was normal ways of behaving. Hmm. We can talk about more of that later, too. So that would explain why Ah, they like is. the head game. But, so he turned it around on Robert Reed. And I'm going to read from Brady, 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 because he tells the story much better than I could. All right. Okay, this is actually the Sherwood Schwartz part. I keep referring to this as Lloyd Schwartz's book, but Sherwood Schwartz, the creator, wrote the first several chapters, and then Ooh. Lloyd wrote the rest. Sherwood wrote how the show came about and stuff. But they both talk about how difficult Robert Reed would be, and we'll talk about that more related to other episodes, including these lengthy memos he oh would my write, God, yes. nitpicking things. So Sherwood says, he said, he goes, Like Captain Queeg in the Kane Mutiny, Bob revealed to the Paramount executives what a pedantic, egotistical, childish performer he really was. They saw for themselves how every script fell victim to his absurd criticisms and his overthought accusations. Now remember, this is from the point of view of somebody who felt he was victimized by Robert Reed. So it, just for the heck of it, I set up a sting operation. Yeah. I decided to read one script from Bob's point of view, examining every possible fact he might challenge with his ever-present Encyclopedia Britannica. <laughs> one such fact was a script in which Mr. Brady wants to teach the kids a lesson for hogging the phone, so he installs a payphone in the Brady kitchen. I knew Bob would challenge the idea of having a payphone in a private home. I doubted it myself, but I remembered something I had read recently. Knowing Bob would check that out, I called the FCC in Washington, D.C., and that's the Federal Communications Commission, and asked if there were any areas in Southern California where it's legal to place a payphone in a private residence. It turns out there's one area in Southern California where it's legal, Santa Monica. Ooh. That was what I remembered from an article in a magazine about J. Paul Getty, uh, a billionaire whose resident was in Santa, residence wasn't Santa. J. Paul Getty had a payphone installed in his home, so guests had to pay for their phone calls. Oh, my God. Maybe that's how he became a billionaire. Sherwood Schwartz and I think the same way. And not paying his grandson's ransom. Yes, right. Amazingly, because of J. Paul Getty, it's legal to have a payphone in Santa Monica. Nice. At least it was in 1969. Yeah. Armed with that information from the FCC, I sent the script to Bob. I knew I would get a phone call, and it came immediately. <laughs> Bob took the bait. He asked Sherwood, where do the Brady Bunch live? I was all sweet and innocent when I replied, in California. <laughs> Bob, annoyed, said, of course I know they live in California. I can see all those palm trees in the show every week. Whereabouts in California, he questioned. Southern California, I responded innocently. I know that too, Bob said, growing irritated. Where in Southern California? In the Los Angeles area, I said. Where in the Los Angeles area, <laughs> he persisted angrily. Los Angeles is a pretty big area. Santa Monica, I answered. Why do you ask? I asked, still innocently. Bob, furious, said, never mind. <laughs> that sound was followed by the slam of his phone on the receiver. I had evaded his attempt to trap me. In fact, I had trapped him. Owned. And, but he adds, Bob's nasty comments about every script yeah. continue coming to me, to Lloyd, and to Paramount Executive. We can delve into them more, uh, like you said, episode specific. But in Barry's book, he one of Bob Reed's kids gave him, after Bob died, he saved the copies, of course, of everything. And they are so long and dense, a lot of them to read. It's longer than the fucking episode. And the poor, I mean, I actually like his portrayal of Mike. Like I said before, you can't tell that he hated what he was doing. He seems kind of a straight man most of the time, like we were talking. And by all accounts, good job. And by all accounts, even Lloyd Schwartz admits that 
Bob waited. They would film because the kids oh, yeah, had limited would, sign yeah. on the sets. So they'd film the kids' scenes first and scenes where he was alone with Carol or Alice or whatever. Or the kids weren't in the scenes. They would film later after the kids had to leave just because the mm-hmm. law had the kids. But Lloyd was on the set all the time. And Bob made his hatred for Sherwood Schwartz clear. Yeah. And at one time when the camera started rolling, so all the executives who saw the rushes and stuff would see it, he said, I hope you fry in hell Sherwood Schwartz for making me do this scene. And things like that. Yeah, and he- there are a lot of cases where they'd give Florence Henderson or Ann B. Davis... Robert Reed's lines because he just would refuse. I don't want to dwell on the fact that he was gay, but Barry mentions in his book he knew pretty much from the beginning he was gay. And Barry was a child actor and acted in a lot of stuff and said he had encountered lots of gay people and it didn't really matter. Well, that's who Lloyd Schwartz makes clear his animosity had nothing to do with it. No, I don't think so. I'm talking about for Bob's side of things, being frustrated in life in general, not being able to be who you want to be. Although anyone who, looking at those memos, I'm not a psychiatrist or anything, but no. he, he was obsessive. He is obsessive. He, uh, he, he obsessed. And, Lloyd, and yeah. Lloyd frequently talks about Bob's lack of a sense of humor, and I think we all know people like that, and he just didn't understand why some things were Yeah, I know. Funny. Some of his criticisms, well, I don't understand why this is funny, and it's like, well... <laughs> It would yeah. be funny for kids. Like, some of the stuff right. that, that I don't think is funny, I did think was funny when I was a kid. Right. I mean, so. the show wasn't exactly a documentary. No. But in any case, so that was sorry, wrong number. Yeah. I oh, told oh, you, oh, it okay. reminded me of this oh, yeah. this weird, I have this weird memory of when I was probably about six or seven. There was a family that lived down the street from us. The girl was a year younger than me, their daughter. But they had an older stepdaughter. The husband was quite a bit older than the wife. I don't remember They're much a, about him. They were a very exotic family. The wife was French. Yes. She was from France. Stelian. But the husband, I don't know where. No, if, he was American. And he I hardly remember. I barely. But they had this, his daughter. I don't want to say her name. From a previous marriage. She is. Now, this is my memory. And I don't know because I was only like six or she had long, brown, kind of curly, frizzy hair, and she wore these round glasses, very hippie-ish. She came over, and I don't know why she was, she came to use our phone for some reason, and I don't know why, and she had a dime in her hand, and she was tapped on the phone and said, where do I put the dime? At the time, I remember thinking, is she joking, or does she really think we have a payphone? And I still don't, to this day, no. don't know. And sometimes memory is funny, and there may have been more to what was going on than you. Like, I'm assuming that she was making a joke. Yes. I would assume that. But it was oh, weird. That's a strange memory. It's a strange memory to keep all these years, I know. Isn't it? But, but this, this episode made me remember. But you know what we didn't talk about? I have lots of memories that are coming up now. Know, oh, my God. <laughs> no, this I'm just kidding. TV show is a whole trigger for us. Yes. We didn't talk about the first appearance of Sam. So when Mike's waiting for his tea time, the phone rings. And it's and Sam calling Alice. And he says, why is Sam, why is Sam the butcher calling for Alice? And yeah. Carol's like, because they're seeing or they're dating or whatever. And then he makes one of those double entendre remarks that were, I'm sure, not meant to be, but I keep finding them in this show about the meat. Oh, I have that one. Yeah. That's, but that's not my favorite quote either, but I've okay. got this one from Sam because the, they show Sam. Alice is at the, uh, at the butcher shop talking to Sam. Because she's so upset she's about upset the phone about the crisis. phone situation. So she undresses from her uniform. Oh, and she puts on, on her, a regular, like her, her matronly clothes. dress. 
and then goes to the butcher shop to and, and Sam says she was she was bitching about his pork chops or something and he says quote when you start to criticize Sam's meat something is wrong <laughs> so apparently his meat was satisfactory yeah. to it her it makes me think of the line in that uh, Bob Dylan song Thunder on the Mountain I got the pork chops you got the pie mm. and he does mean it in a double yes. entendre way which I'm sure this show didn't when I was like in fourth grade this girl we were at the Y and we were yelling things through the grate to the boys locker room and she said you've got the hot dogs we've got the buns so let's have a picnic <laughs> I remember that well, I was this like, was yeah. like the first appearance of Sam right and yes and he punched her in the arm several a times a couple times to show us because they're kind of Alice is uh, yes they're lower class so, so the next one episode 10 Every boy does it what? And so we know it's not masturbation because no, they do a lot more than that. The, I think one of the last episodes that addresses the whole blended family yes. step family thing. I read in the Schwartz book, the first half dozen episodes, they kind of wanted the blended family thing to be the theme. And then they were, they were family, done with that. They were, yeah, they were a family. And yeah, that's not an book. issue anymore. We've worked yeah, it out. We were, everybody's worked it out. Although it does kind of creep in a little later to some shows. He mentions in the book that Mike Look and Lan had like the least amount of acting experience of any of the other kids, but he's just a natural. You can he's tell, especially in this and in the one a little later when Tiger runs away, he's really good. At he's good at his emotional, the emotional. When he's and maybe whoever was direct, the directors were were good at getting him to to tap into that. Of all the six kids, Bobby is the kid you feel lost a mother yes. and is getting used to having a new family. Yeah. Yeah, he's the one that gets those types of stories more than any. You think that the older kids, especially well, Gret, I mean, for the boys and their mother, I mean, boys and their mother, especially when they're young, it's a very... Although this isn't an Italian family. <laughs> I know, but no, but I'm just saying, when if you know anyone that's had boys right. and see and observe them when they're young, they're very especially, clingy to their mom. They're, right. they, they mature slower especially than girls. Especially when the father is an all-business kind of dad, like Mike mm, Brady. They yes. need that softer person. So this is one where Bobby... He, <laughs> He's watching Cinderella with Cindy. Speaking of documentary. Oh, and he thinks it's a documentary, apparently. Yeah, because all stepmothers are mean. And right after the show ends, Carol comes in and <laughs> to sweep out the fireplace. The only time in five years anyone ever even mentions their California fireplace. There. And then Marsh and Jans are mean to him when yes, they high and by small fry. And they laugh because Carol and Alice are trying to repurpose clothes that were yes, they're doing hand me downs. They're making them Irish fit. We used to call them, where you... They don't have the money, really. I know. And I only say that because yes. when we were growing up, and I don't think that, fra- that that phrase wasn't used in our family. No. But we went to Catholic schools. But I've heard schools, that phrase. And I knew a lot we of kids. We all know that phrase. Because everybody was from big that, families. A lot yeah. of people were. And especially, they would take like the bicep area of a sleeve and hem that yeah. part of the sleeve and then let it down as the boy's arms grew, you know, using the shirt handed down from the older brother. And so poor Bobby is, you know, and the thing is, I don't sew, but I can tell you, no matter of hemming is going to make those clothes of grass <laughs> fit tiny little... So the girls make fun of that. So it's a perfect storm for Bobby, because he sees that movie, and then all these things that just validate his views start happening. Yes. 
Carol makes him sweep out the fireplace, mm-hmm. which nobody before or after has ever well, had yes. in that family because they don't even use it. I, I mean, know, they, they usually have the couch in front of it. Yeah, and they're in California. The only time I s- the, that the couch was turned the other way was... Now, if it was Maine, it'd be a different I don't know. Anyways. But, and then the girls are making fun of him. The evil stepsisters make fun yes. of him. And she's making him wear the hand-me-downs. Yes. And, and then he goes in the kitchen and Alice makes fun of him. Yeah. But then she immediately turns it around and she actually kneels down and has a heart to heart with yes, him. She the does. only person I would say in the entire show because this is when it, the poor little boy needs some compassion the show ends with ultimate Brady trickery. I know, I know. So he decides he's going to run away. And he goes upstairs and is packing his suitcase and Peter catches him and he tells Peter, "Oh, I'm I'm running away." And he doesn't say why. He feels he, unloved. Though. He does because the boys have gone off to do something. The girls, oh, that's nobody right. wants to play with him and nobody wants cuz they're all doing their own thing for a change. Usually they all run around like little yeah. Unrealistic packs, but in this case, everybody's off doing their own thing. Yeah, so he's packing a little suitcase and then decides he needs a bigger suitcase. Yes. So then Peter goes and blabs. And so Mike, instead of sitting down and telling him they all love him, yes, and he should stay, and that we're sorry you lost your mother, and blah, he has blah, to blah. Do one of his fucking mind fucks. With yeah, him. he's like, oh, sure, go. What are you going to, what are you going to do for work? We'd like you to, we'd like, you know, we love you, and we'd like you think to think you love us, but if you have to, yeah, go, and, go. instead of saying we love you. shit to a seven year old. I know. That's so weird. But Carol packs a suitcase of her own and is waiting when Bobby goes to leave and because, so she'll go with him because right. she doesn't want him to go alone and then he realizes she loves him and right so instead of resolving it and I know it's a sitcom I so know situations instead of resolving it by lovingly telling the little boy that he's part of the family blah 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 you know and frankly I know it was resolved okay but some of the shit Mike said to him I know it's weird lasting my dad made gee my mom my stepmom loves me but now I'm wondering about my dad I know it's so weird I know you know if you have to go little boy you know so So then at the end Cindy apparently watched the frog prince and kissed a frog, but it didn't turn into a prince. <laughs> she thought that wasn't... A... So, yeah, Bobby... And it comes up later in another episode, his worry about not being abandoned, but loss, when there's a later one with Tiger involving Tiger. And you'd almost Tiger. think if it was a more insightful show... Yes. That it would actually be tied to his family situation, yes. but I think it's... But just, it's not. It's, oh, Bobby feels left out. He's yeah. going to run away. But yeah. but Alice kind of almost touches on it. Ambie Davis, I know they make her play a clown. She's a very good actress. And when she has to do anything dramatic, she's very yes. I, she's very believable believe in everything her. she does. You believe her when and, she you know, gives him the talk that maybe yeah. Mike should have given him. Yeah, I know. You know. What the fuck? And she actually kneels down. I know. So she's on his level. Which, how often do you see adults do that? Yeah. Well, that's because so Alice is not really an oh, adult. Oh, that's right, because she's not. He w- Next one is... Vote for Brady. Battle of the Six. Tell you the truth, I was surprised. Surprisingly. Even there was some of the some of the gratuitous misogyny that you see in every episode, there was less of it yes. than I would. Yeah. Although the boy does win in the end. Yes, well... Well, and, and it makes me wonder if if, if Marsha were the older one... Total supposition on my part. If Marsha were the older one... She still wouldn't yeah. have, unless they were going to be really radical for 1969. She still wouldn't have won. I know. And let the girl. But the, but the argument the they use is, oh, you know, you'll have another chance and Greg won't. That but was the, the other thing is, I feel like the show just sets up a natural male dominance. Yeah, because the, the boys are Each all, boy is yeah. older than yes. his counterpart girl. Yes. But it's almost like they're trying, 
in their kind of 1960s male point of view way to make a little a little show because she can run for the same office as him. Right. So yeah. look at how forward thinking and stuff we are, but it's still set up for her to fail. I'm not talking about the election, just the way the show is set up. Yes. And they have a convenient excuse. Yes. See, here's how we can still have the boy win. Yeah. Without us being sexist. Yeah. And Greg does stick up for Marsha when when Rusty. He, when Rusty, his campaign manager, wants who has to, a cool hat, yes, wants to do dirty tricks. That Rusty guy, though, isn't he the one that the later one, the cigarette one? I think he's the same. Maybe the same actor. kid. We'll Everybody has a bad friend, but we'll have to look that up. And but no, but Ru- he has a different name then, but it's the same kid. I well, think. they just like we'll see actor. on the Mod Squad next season. There's a recurring lot of actors, recurring yeah. actors. So they're running against each other, and Mike and Carol say they'll support both of them and they're going to be impartial. So everyone's helping them and blah, blah, blah. So they decide that they're going to do their speeches and have uh, rehearsal with their speeches. So they don't show Greg's rehearsal, but they show Marsha's. And the boys are very passive aggressively sitting there with these horrible stony looks on their Mm -hmm. face with their arms crossed. And they make Marsha start to cry while she's making her speech. And we all know what happens to female candidates who cry. And then, of course, Cindy, (laughs) Marsha runs (laughs) off crying and Cindy starts clapping. (laughs) Good for Cindy. <laughs> and then Alice is like, "Don't clap." But then Marsha overhears Rusty and some other kid who are their, his campaign managers. And Marsha doesn't have a campaign manager; she just uh, no. seems to do it on her own, no. just like women always do. Mm-hmm. She overhears him trying to start a bad rumor about Marsha. Well, yeah. there's nothing said, but something that would smear her reputation. Yes, like she gives blowjobs oh, yeah. under the bleachers. Yes. Or- and Greg's like, no, I'm not saying that about my sister. You're fired. And Marsha overhears this. Before that, Carol, even though she was going to be impartial, decides to say to Marsha, you know, Greg's going to be graduating and you have another year and blah, blah, blah. So she concedes to him. Yeah. And says he's a really groovy guy. Yeah. In her speech. And he claims she would have won anyway. Yes. He, well, it's easy to say it when he's won. And I know. He doesn't have to. So, yes, that had less. Yeah, yeah, I was actually surprised rewatching it because I expected it to be like full-blown, like the clubhouse one last yes. week, full-blown battle of the sexes. But like I said, it was easy for them if they were trying to be forward-thinking because structurally it was set up so the girl wasn't going to win. So it was a win-win for them. Yes. And that brings us to the 12th and final episode for today, A Voice for Christmas. The Voice of Christmas. The Voice of Christmas. Mm. I um, like A Voice for Christmas better. But in any case, <laughs> and this is another parent-centric one. Yes, it is. That, and like I said, we're going to see fewer, fewer of these. And it's the only time you see them at church or see them talk about church, yeah, right? But, and, and she sings a hymn, which is interesting. Yes, oh, although it's a Christmas faithful. carol. Yeah, I know. Even though I'm a non-believer, my favorite Christmas carols are hymns, most yes. of them. Yes, well, that's my favorite. I like Christmas Oh Holy I'm, Night for some reason. I'm the same way. And I lo- I really like the Latin version of Deste Fidelis. Yes, I do too. And there's an awesome, and you can only see this on the SNL app. You can't find it on YouTube. An awesome Saturday Night Live with Luciano Pavarotti mm. and Vanessa Williams. Ah, oh, yeah, yeah. Doing Deste yeah, Fidelis. I'll have to watch that. And I love beautiful. Luciano's version of that. Well, yeah, it's beautiful. He's a beautiful. Back to did. Carol, who also has a beautiful voice. But she does. No and she hardly ever gets to sing on the show. Yeah. It always, It's always been a thing that bugs me. I'll just get it right out. It's one of my things. When someone on a TV show can't talk or isn't supposed to talk, first of all, their attempts to talk bug me. 
And also, their miming and stuff like that bugs me. And it's just me. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it, but every TV show where there's somebody who has laryngitis or laryngitis, as Cindy calls it. And again, when we say Cindy's stupid ass, we're not saying Susan Olsen is. Because, in fact, I give her a lot, all the credit in the world for. I said, she's a good actress. And I feel you have to be pretty smart to be able to effectively play. She did a a good job. So, Carol gets laryngitis. But she was going to sing the big solo at Christmas service. I almost said mass. But Christmas service. And she has laryngitis. And it's a big crisis. Will mom be able to sing? Yes. So Cindy and Mike go to the mall or or a department store. First of all, we have 20 minutes of the whole ha-ha, Carol can't talk. Yeah. Alice with her old wives. Oh, that smelly Where Mike thing doesn't that... want to kiss Carol and Carol makes him kiss her. Yeah. She smells bad. And all the little stupid jokes that you would expect. Oh, and Mike telling Carol she's over a bowl of, you know, steaming water and she has a towel over her head, which you do. And he's on the phone to the doctor and he says, you get under your teepee, Pocahontas. Yeah, some more... Just really gratuitous. They, and I'll have to bring it up every time because yes. I probably noticed it when I was a kid, but right. now it's so there's no, out of... Right. It was like just this easy, accepted thing, and there's no even reason there to do it. It's I know. It's not like it's an Indian thing I know, it's or weird. So I thought that was weird. And you get a lot of the really boring, extended thing of her miming where she wants the Christmas tree and the overburdened guys dragging the tree around the living room. And so when Mike goes... Because for some reason laryngitis makes people stupider than they were when they were No, she probably would be like that anyway. Because women are always making men move stuff around and then making him move it again. It's the only way we could assert power. It's a staple on comedies. Yes, because it's the only... Because we can't apparently move it ourselves even though... we can't make up our minds about things. No, we can't. We're women. It's our hormones. Yeah. So he brings Cindy to see Santa and he leaves her alone in line even though she's only six to go finish shopping and so but he does come back and the kid in front of her has a weird scarf around his neck and also he's a little asshole she says hi to him and he's like I hate girls and then of course he has a I know for no good reason and then of course he has a lengthy list of things he wants and Santa Santa seems drunk and a perv well guess why I thought you know who plays him the guy that played drunk Otis on the Andy Griffith show. Oh, I didn't know that. That is why he seems like a drunk Drunk to me. And they must have casted him with that. (laughs) Maybe. Because I was like, yeah, he seems drunk. So Mike goes into the locker room or wherever, and God only knows where Cindy is, and, and like rips him a new one because Santa promises he doesn't really promise Cindy but he gives her the impression that Carol then, will have her voice back for Christmas. And a long time trope on TV shows way before the Brady Bunch where the little kid the adorable irresistible little kid asks Santa some impossible thing having to do with one of their parents you know, that we want Daddy to come home from the war. Oh, yeah. Or Mommy to come back from the dead or whatever. <laughs> and Santa overcome with the inability to... And, you know, I won't get into my whole anti-Santa thing here, nah. but it's yet oh. another reason that Santa sucks. But, <laughs> but he somehow promises Cindy Carol will get her voice back for Christmas. And you know what I was thinking? It's kind of funny that even though it's a kid's show... They do make well, it pretty clear. Show. They expected parents to watch They make it, it pretty clear that Santa is not really Santa. 
the way he's talking to him. Although they never show him out of his face. He doesn't right. come out Santa, not Santa. And, and they don't tries, show him out of his uniform. Mike tries to lecture him the way he does yes. with kids, but it doesn't he really... He gives Santa his usual lecture. Although it doesn't he's go over constantly lecturing. I think, I think even Barry Williams says something about him lecturing Santa. And I like it when Cindy said, he's better than a doctor. He's, he's Santa. Santa. And we're all like, oh. Uh, so, of course, in the middle of the night, Carol wakes up and... She can, she can sing. sing. And so then they show her singing, which is also a long thing, although... Oh, and there's that one scene, too, that I want to make note of, where the kids, it's Christmas Eve, they all come down, like, to... Oh, uh, yeah. But yes. then they're, they're too sad about Mom. Oh, that's right. I wrote, I wrote, nice head fuck. Yeah, and Alice, right, Alice. and Alice comes out and head fucks the kids. That's and Mike's what I... up there listening, and he's so proud Yes, he looks very proud. He gives her the big yeah. high sign, because he's so yes. proud that she head fucked the kids as good as he yes, could. Yes, she's like, okay, we won't have Christmas. Because they're like, ooh, it's, your mom can't sing. Like, okay, I know it's sad your mom can't sing, but... You still got all these presents and you can have fun. Right, but she doesn't say that. She goes along with the big... She's like, oh yeah, let's cancel Christmas, blah, blah, blah. Yes. And then they're like, oh, oh, never mind. Uh, Oh, yeah. And then they all go running up the stairs and Greg says to Dad, we're going back to bed or something. And Alice says, oh, I didn't know you were up there. Like, how do you not see the six foot guy standing there on the stairs? And then it kind of implies in some way, did you have something you wanted to say? And he's like, no, you said it perfectly. And I'm like, here, Mike has seen yes. Alice. Ah, yes. Yes, she can do student, the you have done well, yeah. Mike. Now, what did Barry have to say about any of these? Okay, so one thing about the Christmas episode that Barry says is... Up until the time this episode, so this aired 12th, I think. he Barry has it listed as 15, but I think he's, I think he might be doing it in order of filming his, his. So he says up until this Christmas episode aired, the Brady Bunch was sort of lamely dog paddling in the Nielsen pool, trying at times desperately to stay afloat. This episode changed all that. It drew terrific numbers and started the show on the road to large scale popular success. It's funny because Lloyd Schwartz in his book says the show through its entire five seasons was always kind of in the middle of the pack and never a big Nielsen's never one of the top Nielsen shows and it was only through reruns and syndication uh, yes, and that's what I've heard that too. made it big so I think Greg maybe misremember maybe this one put it more in the public eye and he you know it was in that eight o'clock Friday night slot for its entire five seasons yes. which is a pretty sweet spot to be in I so. remember it well Okay. Well, also in this body of episodes, Erica Wolk in the Bradypedia has a comment about the Camping We Will Go episode that I'd Ooh. like to share. And her um, her fun facts are called Tiki Talk, which we all remember from the... Oh, the little Hawaii. Tiki doll, yes. yes, which we will get to. In a few. This is about the Camping We Will Go episode, and she says, They filmed an alternate ending, or tag, you know, they have those little tags at yes. the end. Of, I think there were only two episodes where they didn't have those. Hmm. For this episode, that had the boys getting back at the girls for the bear prank. It had something to do with a rubber spider in the girls' room. And she has a photo from the loss ending where the whole family tucks Cindy into bed, presumably after being scared by the spider. And in the photo, which you guys can't see because this is a podcast, you can see the top of the girls' bedroom set. And ah! there's no ceiling. But um, that ending never came about and it's funny when you look at the photo which i know you guys can't see it almost looks like cindy's a corpse that they're laying (laughs) so i'd really like to know what that okay my favorite quote and maybe it's my sense of humor maybe i'm just 
sick, or maybe I have a low IQ, but I'm constantly seeing double meaning and what I assume are supposed to be fairly innocent things on the Brady Bunch. And, right. and next week there's a big one for me. But this this time it's when Bobby's playing his kazoo, he says, I like to walk when I toot. <laughs> and of course, tooting is... is so I thought that was kind of cute. And sometimes I wonder with those things if the writers did that intentionally. Well, that's... And I had an alternative one that isn't like cute like that, but it just shows the father knows best type attitude. And Carol says... <laughs> And um, when Kitty Carryall is missing, and it is first beginning to become a crisis, and Mike has gone out to play what's possibly the shortest golf game <laughs> the shortest golf in the history of golf yeah. because he comes back and it's still morning. But she says, we don't want to bother Daddy on his day off. So I guess I'll, what I'll have to go for is the one from that I already mentioned from Sorry Right Number when Sam says, when you start to criticize Sam's meat, something <laughs> is wrong. Because I can't believe that the writers did not have so. Sometimes you can't. Sometimes you can't. And so we have our fun fact, too. And I have a fun fact that's very personal to me. And it makes me a little sad. No, it doesn't. <laughs> okay. My first name, as you know, is Maureen, just like Maureen McCormick. It's a name people no longer give their daughters. I think the last person to be named Maureen was like in 1977 or something like that. And the nickname for it is Mo. And I'm more commonly called Mo than Maureen. But Lloyd Schwartz in his book... When they started filming the show, noticed that Maureen McCormick was very feminine and beautiful. And almost, he implies on it, kind of a different plane from the other kids. So as a way to humanize her, I'll tell you the way he said it. He says, I was taken by just how feminine she was, even fragile looking. <laughs> so I decided to dispel any separation between her and the other kids by immediately and intentionally nicknaming her Mo. Now, since she was named Maureen, maybe this isn't the first time she's been called that, because he doesn't really say, but that's a very common nickname. He says, nothing is less glamorous than the name Mo. You should react yeah, in, oh. in sympathy to, to me. Oh, well, I was thinking... You know, the only thing I can so think of is less... Glamorous. <laughs> well, I was going to say, the only thing I can think of is less glamorous is the nickname Momo. Oh, but I like is, to I know, call you funny. Momo. I don't, you know, I don't really care what people call me. I don't either. Yeah, people I've been call called worse. Becky and he and says Becca. she is still called that today by those of us who knew her when. Well, I have to tell you, I've been called Mo by people who didn't even know that was my nickname because it's a common... It is nickname. common But I think Maureen. it's funny, nothing is less glamorous than the name Mo. And that's how he brought her Fuck down him. to the human... I, I'm just saying, I don't... But I don't even know. think she was glamorous when she was little. Well, he did. Whatever. So my fun fact is kind of boring, but there were two kitty carryalls that existed on the Brady set, according to Barry Williams, and they're still in existence. Well, well, there were two kitty when he wrote the book. Yeah, that's true. But they never showed them together, did they? No. It's like having twins play one character. But when they showed them, I mean, when this book was published, it was the early 90s, and then he updated it in 99, so it might not still be true. But at the time of the he published his book, Eve Plum had one. And Susan Olsen had the other one, still, as, as adults. or as adults? As adults. Wow. That's an interesting fun fact. Maybe they're keeping them so they can, like, sell them online. Or use them for voodoo. Kitty Carrie. And so that's this week's episode. You can find us on our website at GroovyTube Podcast and on Twitter at GroovyTube and mm. on Facebook, GroovyTube Podcast. Okay. So next week we're going to have episodes 13 through 18. And, again, these are the best list we can get of 
when they appeared because there are things that are out of so order. So we'll say the titles, that way if you want to look them up and watch before. Right, so why don't you start? Number 13, Is There a Doctor in the House? Number 14, Father of the Year. Ooh, 15, 5440 and Fight. 16, Mike's Horror Scope. Ooh. 17, The Undergraduate. And 18, Tiger, Tiger. Oh, Tiger. And we want to remind you that you can email us at groovytubepodcast at gmail.com or message us on Facebook or or Twitter Twitter what your favorite episode is. You can send us... Or a memory or whatever. Right. Your favorite episode, your favorite memory, and we'll read it on the air. Or you can even send us a voice memo and we'll play it. And, you know, let us know who you are, where you're from. And, you know, we're going to have to come up with some merch soon. We will come up with some merch once we get our shit together. together. And we'll talk to you next week. Thanks. Bye-bye. And a special thanks to Ben Sound for our groovy music.